So yesterday we discussed a lot of things. We discussed the spiritual significance of the fact that Israel is called a land flowing with milk and honey. We discussed why specifically the mitzvahs, the physical mitzvahs are, mi are mainly done in the land of Israel. Israel has the most physical mitzvahs. And today we're going to be answering the last question of the three questions we started with, which is why were the Miraglim so afraid of entering into the land? So just a little recap, because the last question, the answer to the last question is based on the answer to the first two. A land flow with milk and honey. Milk and honey represent chesed and gevura, two different types of ways that Hashem gives to the world. Mm -hmm. And today's Tanya obviously speaks about the same thing. It's always fun to see the connection. Um, today's Tanya speaks about how the name of Havai and the name of Elohim, right? The two names of Hashem that either give or conceal are both actually giving. Chesed is giving the light to the world and Gevura is giving the world the ability to exist, yeah. right? So even it's doing it in a way of concealment. It's doing it in a way of judgment, so to speak. It's doing it in a way of constriction, but it's giving. It's allowing the world to exist. So we said that Chesed and Gevura represent the Chalav Udvash, the chalav is the chesed, the dvash is the gvura, two different ways that Hashem gives his light into the world. And it, this light is given from chesed and gvura, chachma and bino vatsilos, and it flows all the way down into malchus. If we do mitzvahs, we draw these down into malchus. And then if we do physical mitzvahs, then malchus is able to actually take all of that it's received and shine it on to all of the worlds and draw down Hashem's light and reveal his light in all the worlds. As it says, that Hashem's light is spread forth into all of the worlds. This happens specifically when we do physical mitzvahs. This is represented by land flow with milk and honey because it primarily happens in the land of Israel. Because we have the spiritual land of Israel, which is in Malchus of Atzillus, and the spiritual land of Israel receives, right? Malchus of Atzillus receives from Chesed and Gevura, from the flowing of the milk and the honey. And this happens when we specifically do Asetov, do the positive mitzvahs, and Surmeira, when we do the negative mitzvahs. Okay, so that's what we discussed so far. Now let's see what was the claim of the Miraglim. So we're on page 17 in the middle, right? So we, we finished off with a little English that said, the accomplishment of mitzvahs is to draw down Hashem's light into Malchus of Atzillus, the source of all Jewish souls. Remember, we, that's called Knesset Yisrael, which we learned in the Hanukkah Maimah, and through that into us and the world. Because this happens most powerfully in Eretz Yisrael, this is why the main fulfillment of mitzvahs is in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, so now we're going to continue inside. V'hamaraglim hayu v'madrega gavamaod. The Miraglim, the spies, were on a very lofty spiritual level, right? They were the leaders of each tribe. They were the Nassim of each tribe. And they existed on a very high spiritual level. When we say very high spiritual level, they knew what was going on in the worlds of Atsilas, okay? <laughs> they did not want to lower themselves to doing physical mitzvahs which is this idea of drawing down all of Hashem's light all the way down into this physical world. And that's why they said, they said about the land of Israel, that it's a land that eats its inhabitants. Because it was of their opinion, that if Hashem's infinite light is drawn down all the way to this physical world, to our reality, 
Kamolamala, as it exists above, which is what we said happens when we do physical mitzvahs, the lights as they exist above shine fully, and the vessels as they exist above stop to conceal and instead channel the light down here. They were afraid that if this happens, they would lose their form completely. This is what they meant when they said that the land of Israel is a land that eats its inhabitants. Let's talk about that for a minute. What was the claim of the Miraglim? From what we just read, what do you guys, what do you guys understand from that? What were the Miraglim claiming? Basically, like if they entered, the spies. Basically, if they entered entered Eretz Yisrael, like it would be almost like like the whole idea of like the candle going to its source. Like everything would just be in a stillness and like totally like lose any distinction between like people and animal and from Hashem and it would all just be one. Yep. We would lose our form and the world would basically, they were afraid that the world would cease to exist, which as we discussed, remember, we've discussed that if Havai would shine without Elohim, if Hashem's infinite light would shine, we've discussed this in Chassidus, that we would lose our form. We wouldn't exist on our own. We would become completely Batel. And the spies were afraid that if we entered the land of Israel, that the process that would then be initiated would make us, would, would not allow the Jewish people and, and the world as a whole to survive. And the reason is because when they were in the Midbar, as we're going to read inside in a moment, when they were in the desert, they did mitzvahs, but they did everything spiritually. Mm-hmm. They were on a very, very spiritual, lofty level. They were dealing with the world of Atsilas. What was happening? They were learning Torah on a very lofty level. They were doing mitzvahs on a spiritual level, the intention of the mitzvah, not necessarily the action of the mitzvah. They had a few, very, very few practical mitzvahs, a few of them. But mostly they were, they were, um, mostly they were serving Hashem spiritually. What was happening when they did that? What happens when we serve Hashem spiritually? We draw down the chesed and the gevura of Atsilas into malchus of Atsilas. And that is what the Maraglim wanted to continue to do. Let's just draw down all of the light into malchus of Atsilas, which affects a change in the upper worlds. And so we will stay down here, immersed in spirituality, Right, avoiding the pitfalls of this world. And while we do that, we're going to affect spiritual change, which is what they were doing in the time that they were there. They were afraid of what was going to happen when they entered the land of Eretz Yisrael, because Eretz Yisrael is the physical representation of the spiritual Eretz Yisrael. So until they entered the land, they were drawing down energy and light of Hashem and revealing it in the spiritual Eretz Yisrael. Wonderful. That's what they wanted to continue to do. What happens when you enter the physical Eretz Yisrael, you do physical mitzvahs, and then all of that light, that spiritual light that now has been drawn down into Malchus of Atzilus, gets drawn down all the way down into our world. And they were very afraid of that. They said, we can't handle that. The world is not made to handle such a tremendous amount of light. And therefore they said, let's continue doing things the way we've done them until now. We'll stay in the desert. We'll serve God spiritually. We'll affect changes in the spiritual worlds, in the spiritual Eretz Yisrael, in the spiritual Knesset Yisrael. So the souls of the Jewish people, as they exist up on high, will be affected. And we'll remain in the clouds, literally in the clouds in the desert. But that's not what we're supposed to be doing, though, right? Right. That's why they were punished so brutally, right? So we're answer- the, in effect, we're answering two questions here. The first one is, how could such lofty people fall so low and lose yeah. their trust in Hashem? And the answer is, because they were so lofty, they fell so low. Because they existed 
on such a high spiritual level. They couldn't fathom this idea that we can actually serve Hashem down here in the physical world and be able to remain ourselves. So it wasn't that like they were right. They were totally just misjudging the situation. Right, but it also wasn't that they were evil. No, but right? like, they, like it was... They completely misunderstood what the purpose of creation is. Okay. They thought what we need to do is affect... Our job down here as Jewish people in the world is to affect spiritual changes up on high. That when we serve Hashem spiritually in this world, we affect spiritual changes. We draw down Hashem's Chochman Bina into Malchus of Atzillus. The whole of Atzillus gets elevated and that they, they were happy with that. They thought that's the purpose. And Hashem said, no, 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 no. You need to enter the physical land of the physical Eretz Yisrael. You need to do physical mitzvahs and draw down these lights, not be happy with them remaining in Atzillus, but draw them all the way down into your own person and into this physical world around you. So to be very clear, the Miraglim, again, I'll repeat, they made this mistake not because they were bad people, but precisely because they were such good people. Because they were on such a high spiritual level and serving Hashem on this plane and tapping into these tremendous lights and revelations of the world of Atzillus, they couldn't fathom the idea of actually serving Hashem practically in a physical way and drawing these lights all the way down. But they were punished, right? And the whole generation was punished because they convinced the entire generation that it's better to stay in the land, in the desert, better than going into the land. Again, they were making a spiritual argument. They weren't saying Hashem is not strong enough to defeat the Canaanim. That's not what they were saying at all. They were saying the world is not strong enough to handle the lights that will be drawn down if we enter the land of Israel and serve Hashem in a physical way. So did they bring the other people on a lower spiritual level because they were on such a high level trust with Hashem before? So that's the interesting thing, that we, we think it's a, a problem of trust. They lost trust in Hashem. But that's not really what's going on here. It's not that they didn't trust Hashem. It's that they misunderstood the purpose of why they were there, of why they existed as a Jewish people. Mm-hmm. So they trusted God to fight the... Um, but, but that's the thing. Moshe was very, very clear. This is our goal. The land of Israel. This is what's important. The mitzvahs, the mitzvahs, right? Um, as we're going to see, Moshe fought. It's brought in the Mimer how Moshe fought so tremendously to be able to enter the land because he wanted to do these mitzvahs. And the Jewish people were fine with that. But when, they, when the Miraglim came back and gave this argument, they said, we've seen the power of this land, that if we go into it, bless you, and we start to, bless you, and we start to sanctify our, our agriculture and the most mundane parts of our lives to Hashem, we're not going to be able to handle the light. It said, Eretz or Cheles these lights that we're going to draw down are going to consume us, and we're not going to be able to exist and continue in this way. And they convinced the Jewish people that that was the case as well, that they were better off to remain in the desert. And so that's why the entire generation was punished. Because they... It's a message as well for, all, for us, right? We need to remember what the purpose of creation is. Do you have a question? I just feel like the Jews were coming from a place where they had total trust in Hashem and they saw revealed miracles and they saw all of this stuff happening. I don't... It doesn't, like, comprehend that just, like, ten spies can, like, bring them down from such like complete hmm. I don't know I hear that but again from what I understand it wasn't that they lost Emuna they totally believed in Hashem it makes sense actually if you think about it like them seeing, seeing the miracles and then seeing it on like a level where it's like 
like being able to see like where Hashem is versus where they are and then going into the land where it's like and they're like from their perspective of like there's just no there's no way to mix the two yeah right because until then all they'd experienced was spirituality was tremendous miracles that were above nature above nature above nature that's what they were living in constantly clouds washing their clothing food falling from the heaven right revealed revealed miracles every single day so they were living on a spiritual plane they were called the Mm dorhadea the generation of knowledge they lived on a on a level that was a tremendous tremendously high we look at all the stories of them complaining and we think oh we would have done much better than these people. But the truth is, we wouldn't have. We would have been way worse. They were a very, very lofty. They were a very, very spiritual, um, lofty generation. Bless you. And that was the problem. They were too spiritual. They were living too much in the clouds. They couldn't understand. And almost understandably so, because they'd never experienced that. How you can be godly, how you can be spiritual, but also be just living your life, right? And dealing with the physical world. They never experienced that. They had almost the two extremes. When they were in Egypt, it was all physical. It was physical suffering, physical labor. Where is God, right? And then when God came, he just schlepped them out of that. And it was God, 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 God. It was all God. It was all spiritual. They'd never experienced a combination of the two. And the spies reinforced this insecurity that they had, I would say. It wasn't that they brought out a lack of faith, but they said, you've never had this before, right? Until now, you know God and you know serving God as something completely spiritual, as something that you do when you don't have to worry about your clothing and you don't have to worry about your food and you don't have to worry about making money and you don't have to worry about snakes and scorpions and protecting yourself. That's how you know God. And they reinforced, the spies basically reinforced this belief in the whole nation that this is all they knew and this is all that is possible. Until Kalev, as we'll see, came and Yeshua came and Moshe came and said, no, 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 no. There's much more that is possible than this. And it's almost, we can, I'm thinking out loud here, but kind of the difference between godliness and God, mm-hmm. right? Godliness is spirituality. It's the way Hashem expresses himself into the world. And it's an infinite God expressing himself in the world, but an infinity that's limited to, to nature, that's limited towards almost being infinite in some way as well. There's godliness is not call Yahoo. It's not because as soon as God invests himself in creation, he invests himself into the laws of nature and he restricts himself to those laws. And that's what, you know, when we speak, when we learn about Kabbalah, we learn about this different, you know, that's why we say God is limited to this on this level and limited to this on that level, because as God chooses to invest himself and limit himself in creation, there are, there are limits. And when we speak about godliness, it's true. Godliness as it exists on high is separate from this physical world. And we see that very clearly, right? But then the question is, well, what's God, right? God, as he transcends godliness, as he transcends how he's invested himself in creation, God is kol yachol. He's able to do everything. He's able to combine opposites. And he's able to give us the power to serve him, do mitzvahs, live on a spiritual plane and have a connection with God. And at the same time, be involved in the physical world. Mm. So almost what the Jewish people had experienced until now was like godliness, right? Like miracles, right? Spirituality. And it's like, yeah, but there's something beyond that. There's a purpose to the entire creation that transcends spirituality. It's even higher than that. And that is actually only accomplished and drawn down and experienced through combining these two. And does that answer your question a little bit about, about the... So again, it was we 
as we're so immersed in the physical world, we'll be like, oh, sure, no problem. Take us into the land of Israel, right? Yeah. It wasn't a lack of faith and it wasn't a, a lower level. It was actually because they were so high. They said, how are we supposed to combine these two things? And, but, yeah. You know, I was just going to say, too, though, the, I think the thing that I'm a little bit more so confused on, too, is, like, if they saw that, like, there would have been no distinction, isn't that, like... That there would have been no distinction? What like, do you mean? The, like, distinction, like, there would have been no separation of, like physical and spiritual would have been like meshed together and like consumed with Hashem like why wouldn't they see that as like like a good thing almost like if they're so lofty like because isn't that essentially like what the neshama want like right mm, it's interesting because the neshama actually wants to be in the desert <laughs> the, the neshama wants to go up above and leave the body yeah right and it has to almost force itself to stay but like what like if they're seeing it as like oh if we go into the land then like they're not seeing it as like we're going to be doing the physical mitzvahs we're going to see it as like we're essentially going straight back to Hashem going back to like our source like why isn't for them like why don't they see that as like a good thing because they weren't they were the, every time they did a mitzvah it would have to be in a way that it's contained and limited to staying down here so that's that's what they were struggling with. Not that they're going to get these lofty elevations. They'd had that until now. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to take all of that elevation, all that's protracted, and bring it down and bring it down and bring it down. Mm-hmm. Right? We learned about ratzo and shuv. Yeah. It's shuv and it's shuv and it's shuv again and again and again in every single experience. And they didn't appreciate the opportunity that that afforded them. Mm-hmm. They didn't appreciate that because they were so used to a certain way of living. They'd been already 40 years, right? They'd been 40 years in the desert by now. Uh, no, 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 they hadn't. Sorry, sorry, sorry. They'd been a year... Two years? Two, two years. years by now? Was it a year? How long did it take them to get to Harsina? Right? And then a year after Harsina. A little bit more than a year, though. A little bit more than a year. It was a, they got, Harsina was a year after they left Egypt? Mm-hmm. And then another year, right? They, were, they camped there for almost a year. And then it was a couple of days. So it was just under two years that they'd been living in this complete... And, and, well, and also the process of the plagues in Egypt took a while as well. Mm-hmm. There was just that between living Egypt and... Uh, right, that's Harsinai. why I'm getting confused. That's what I remember yeah, it being. Yeah, and then you're near 49 so like days. A more than a year. So it's just more than a year, right? I think right. I Interesting. Interesting. What are the plagues are you, like a month each or something? There's different opinions, but some say that each one lasted a long time. So some, some opinions say it was a couple years of this process of them, of them leaving Egypt. So this is what they knew, right? This is what they knew, and they couldn't fathom that it's actually possible. And the truth is, the truth is that we make this argument to ourselves. It's not like, oh, they said, we convince ourselves that there's certain elements and parts of our life that God doesn't touch, right? Mm-hmm. God doesn't go there, okay? God's for the shul, God's for the, God's for the Torah learning sessions, but when it comes to making money, when it comes to getting a degree, whatever it is, when it comes to choosing my clothing, when it comes to who I marry, like, we, whatever it is for each of us, there are, there's a little area in each of our lives where we say, God doesn't go there. You know, that's too physical. Let me deal with that. And so we almost make the same argument to ourselves. And so with this mimer speaking to us as well in teaching us that there's no such place where we can't handle both, Right? That's the entire purpose of creation, is to be able to balance these two things. And it's very difficult. It's very difficult, which is why the Jewish people didn't want to do it. It's much easier to either fully immerse ourselves in the world, full shove as we discussed, forget about the spirituality, or to fully immerse ourselves in the spirituality, the ratzor, and forget about the physicality. The hardest thing to do is to combine 
both. It's something that I saw with um, when it comes to eating, just an example. Mm. It's almost easier to cut out a whole bunch of foods than to say, I'm going to allow myself to eat these foods, but in an amount that makes me feel good, right? It's, it's so much easier to either say, I'm eating everything, I don't care about how I feel, or I'm cutting out everything um, so that I don't end up being tempted, right? The hardest thing to do is to actually be able to eat the food, allow you have no rules around food, and at the same time, be able to take care of your body. Um, I know that for me, that was like a process that took many years, and I didn't see that this was something that was able to work together, but the truth is that it is. It's just a very, very mundane example, but it's so easy for us to convince ourselves that in certain areas, these two things just can't mix. And the truth is that every single area of our life has an opportunity for both. It's, not, it's never fully spiritual and it's never phys- fully physical. Um, so th- this, was the claim, this was the claim of the Miraglim. And this was the claim that they, that they used to rile up the entire Jewish nation to burst down into tears and freak out, right? And say, we would have been better off in Egypt. What do you want to do? You know, because they thought that they're going to die. That's the what they thought. Freak out, though, Um, oh, yeah, that's right. I they, remember learning that. Because the women lived, like... Oh, yeah. None of the, the women yeah. didn't die? Because they, yeah. they were able to enter Eretz Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. It was just men who were dying. Who told you that? Where's, what's the source for that? That's we learned so that when we were learning Sefer Yoshua. I feel like it's a fact. I, it, I mean, it makes sense based on our history, right? With the golden <laughs> calf and with the Egypt. Like, we've like, got we a pretty good streak over call. there. Wow. I, I don't know why I never learned that. Okay, I'm going to check it out. So the women entered the land of Israel. Yeah. Wow. Like, double check the source. Please. I'll check. That's Is so like interesting. The, women the, the, the men who were children at the time. Yeah. The men who, right. Mm-hmm. Right, who were under Jenna a certain like age, a, I think. A lot of women. And <laughs> wow, this is so interesting. Wait, so then by the time they entered the land, was there like a little bit of like a, but they, I guess they were older. They were older women at the time, after 40 years. I guess some yeah, more time. Like anyway, right. Yeah. I guess there were kids who were girls then too. Right, right. The next generation grew up together equally, but I guess it was just a lot of matriarchs. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Okay, I'm going to look into that. Um, we, but we do, I mean, it makes sense based, again, based on well, <laughs> how we behave. Like, Pardon? In terms of like ages in Tanakh, their generation is <laughs> the last generation that lived that little bit older. So it yeah. makes sense that the women would live that little bit older because mm. the last generation. Hmm. But also, it's only forty years. Yeah. Yeah, it's not such a long time. But like, if you're an eighty-year-old woman, when this happens, forty years is a long time. I'm twenty. <laughs> okay, very interesting. Um, and we know we know that the children that they were so worried about. If you look, if you learn the text, that they were crying about the children. Oh, how could you do this to the children? God said, "Those poor children are the ones who are going to enter the land, yeah. and you guys are going to be stuck here in the desert." And so that was the claim about Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is a physical Eretz, as we're going to see, that Eretz represents, it's called Eretz Yisrael, and it uses specifically the term Eretz because this term of land is referring to the lowest of the lowest of the physical worlds. And it's the physical representation of the spiritual Eretz Yisrael, and that's what the spies were afraid of. They said, we are going to die. They didn't say we're going to suffer, we can't handle. They said, we are going to die. We're going to go into the land of Israel. We're going to do mitzvahs. We're going to draw down God's infinity, and we're going to burn up and become completely one with God. And so everybody got worried. Like, okay, we may as well just have died in Egypt. Why did you step us on this whole trek, right? Um, so so that, that was the claim. Now let's continue with that claim. Now saying, why do they want to stay in the Midbar? What does the Midbar represent? What does the desert represent? Because they said, we should just stay here. 
So as the ultraviolet will continue to explain, uh, top of page 18, the lower the light descends, shows on its loftiest source. When the light comes into the physical mitzvahs, it comes from a tremendously lofty source, and hence the light is much more powerful than the light as expressed in spiritual mitzvahs, such as prayer and Torah study. Since this light that comes into physical mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael is so powerful, the spies were worried it would be too powerful for them to handle. And if you think about something that gains momentum as it falls and gains speed, right? The light comes down, right? It comes down from Chesed and Gevura into Malchus. And as it descends, it, it actually descends more and more and more powerfully. It breaks through more and more barriers. By the time that this light comes into the physical world, it's even more powerful than the light that is drawn down into the spiritual worlds. So it's we, almost like a second shattering of the vessel? Like, would it be to that extent or not really? No, no. It's like, the same light. It's just drawing it down further and further. Although the idea here is that as it, as it comes down, it picks up, it almost picks up speed and it becomes more and more powerful well, as it descends. And we know that as well because of what we discussed at the beginning, that when we deal with the physicality specifically, the light that we reveal from that is sourced in Tohu, right? It's mm -hmm. very lofty. It's even more lofty than the light that's drawn down from Chochmah and Bina, from Chazan and Gevura of Atzilis into Malchus of Atzilis. And so they said, we can't handle this. It's too much. It's more than we've been experiencing until now, while at the same time being in a physical land, without all of these barriers and shelters and, and help that we've had until now from God. So we can't handle that. So now, what's the argument? They wanted to stay in the Midbar. What does the Midbar represent? So let's see inside. They wanted to stay in the desert specifically. What does the desert represent spiritually? As it says in Shia And your words are sweet. The word midbar can also be read as medaber. What does medaber mean? To speak. To speak, speech. What spiritually represents speech? Anyone remember? We've discussed this before. Which one of the spiritual elements and sephiris represents speech? Malchus. Right? We said that Malchus represents speech. And it's the first time that Hashem, so to speak, spoke into creation and allowed the world to exist. So they said, let's stay in the midbar. Let's stay on a level of speech. Let's remain in a place where we draw down spiritual lights into the spiritual world of Malchus. They wanted to stay in the desert, which represents drawing down Hashem's infinite light into a level of speech, which is represented by the Sephira of Malchut, a spiritual plane, the spiritual Eretz Yisrael, which exists in Malchus. They said, let's not go into the physical Eretz Yisrael. Let's continue to draw down lights and make shine the spiritual Eretz Yisrael. And we see that from the fact that they wanted to stay in the desert. The desert has the same word as Medaber speech, which represents Malchus. So the idea of staying in the desert was to bring Hashem's light into the level of Malchus of Atzilus, the source of divine speech. This level is called the land of Eretz Yisrael above, since it is the spiritual source of the physical Eretz Yisrael in our world. So they were almost saying, we're already in Eretz Yisrael. That's almost what they were saying. We're already in Eretz Yisrael, just the spiritual one. Let's stay here. Why do we need to go and lower ourselves to go into the physical Eretz Yisrael? We're not going to be able to handle that. It's too, lights will be too powerful. And that's why Eretz Yisrael, as we're going to see, the, the physical Eretz Yisrael is called Eretz. And also the spiritual Eretz Yisrael is called Eretz. It's called Eretz, the land of Israel. 
because it's the lowest level of godliness. As is written in Yeshaya, the Haaretz Hadom Raglai, and the land is the footstool of is the footstool where I rest my feet. The land, the spiritual Eretz Yisrael, which represents Malchus, the physical Eretz Yisrael, which represents the lowest worlds, are the footstool of Hashem, are the lowest representations of Hashem in the spiritual world and in the physical world as well. Oops, uh, let's skip the next line, which is just explaining a little bit about Chochmah. Oh, no, actually, no. We're going to read this one, and we're going to skip another one, I think, later. It says, sorry, bottom of page 18, Uksiv, it says in Mishle, Hashem b'chochmah yosad aretz, that Hashem in his wisdom established the earth. As it says, Abba yosad barata, which is the father established the daughter. Abba, the father represents Chochmah, the daughter, Malchus, the bride, right? Represents the daughter. The father establishes the daughter. The wisdom establishes the land. Chochma draws down and gives life to Malchus. Bechinat Hadibor, it draws down its wisdom into speech. The word of Hashem, which is sourced in Chochma. So this is a spiritual process that they wanted to remain in, but it actually has physical manifestations that they didn't want to go to. So the spiritual process is like this. We're drawing down ultimately when we do spiritual mitzvahs, when we learn Torah, when we do lofty things and raise ourselves up, we are drawing down Hashem's light from Chochmah, from the source of light in the created worlds, all the way down into Malchus from the sort of speech in the created worlds. And that allows Hashem to then express His wisdom into action, okay? Into spiritual action, and then later, bless you, into physical action. And then we're going to see an example of this idea. Because they, this is the claim of the Miraglim. Let's stay in the desert. Desert represents Malchus of Elokos. Let's do spiritual mitzvahs, which, ha- which causes all of the lights to flow from Chochmah down into Malchus. And let's be happy with that. We see this uh, with the analogy of a child. This concept that the source of Malchus is Chochmah. That the source of speech is wisdom. That until he has a fully developed mind, completely, even though he can express simple sounds, nevertheless, he cannot speak. And to join these sounds together. So a child can make sounds before he can speak. A child can make sounds before his mind is fully developed. He can say ga, 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 da, 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 but he can't combine them together until his wisdom has become fully developed. So even, it's going to bring here, the reason this is that he can make sounds, but he can't fully speak is, his chachma is wisdom, his mind has not been completely formed, to to break up these noises and to join the letters as he wishes. And the reason for this is that a person can understand, a child can understand before he can speak. Because a child develops bina, understanding, before his chachma is fully, is fully um, integrated. And that causes that he can make sounds and he can even understand what you're saying, but it takes time until the chachma is fully developed, the mind is fully developed, for him to be able to take those sounds and take everything he's understood and put them into words and into speech. What's the message here? What's the idea? Why is this an analogy? What's it the analogy for? For the idea that in order for speech to be speech, you need the chokhmah to be fully developed. 
So in order for Malchus to truly function, in order for the spiritual Eretz Yisrael to exist properly, in order for Knesset Yisrael to fulfill its mission up on high, it needs to draw down specifically from Chochmah. And this is a very important process in creation. So the, the Miraglim and the Jewish people were not saying, oh, let's just do nothing. They were saying, let's do something very important. We're going to draw down the lights from Chochmah, from Chesed and Gevura. We're going to draw them all the way down into Malchus, which allows Malchus to speak, which allows the whole world to come into being, right? Because we need Malchus to speak and to translate these lights in a way that allows the world to exist. They said, let's just do that. And we can do that by remaining in the desert. We can do that by doing spiritual mitzvahs. We don't need to enter the land. This was the full claim of the Miraglim. As it says, Veratsu, we'll finish with this. Veratsu HaMiraglim, what was the desire of the Miraglim? That they can draw down all of the light, from Hashem's wisdom up in Atzilut, into an aspect of speech, Eretz Yisrael Shalamala, down into the spiritual Eretz Yisrael, because there, there is a spiritual Beit HaMikdash, as we discussed last class. The Yerushalayim, there is a spiritual Yerushalayim. And all of the elements that exist in the Beit HaMikdash. The menorah in the Beit HaMikdash has a spiritual significance in the world of Atzilot. The Mizbeach in the Beit HaMikdash has a spiritual significance in the world of Atzilot, etc., etc. The Korbanot, as we discussed, the animals... Sorry, not in Atzilot, in Malchus of Atzilot. The animals that were slaughtered as a carbon, they exist also, Behemaraba in Malchus. So all of these physical um, avodot that we would have in the upon entering the land of Israel, we have represented spiritually in the world of Malchus, in Malchus of Atzilot. So the claim of the Miraglim was, let's just stick with affecting change in the world of Atzilos. Why do we need to affect change all the way down here? Let's stay in the desert. We will draw down Hashem's tremendous lights from Chochmah into speech, into the spiritual Beis HaMikdash, into the spiritual Jerusalem, into the spiritual land of Israel, into the spiritual Jewish people, Knesset Yisrael. And let's just stick with that. And that is important. And we continue to do that today every single time we do spiritual things and we learn Torah and we have intentions behind our mitzvot. We are doing the very important job of drawing down Hashem's infinite light from Hashem's wisdom, from the wisdom of Atzilut, down into the speech, into the malchut of Atzilut. This is important, but it's not the end goal. It's a part of a process toward the end goal, which is to ultimately draw these lights all the way down into the physical Eretz Yisrael, into the physical Jew, into the physical menorah, into the physical Beis HaMikdash, because that is the purpose of creation. So with this, we're finished the claim of the Miraglim. Is that clear? Are we clear on what the Miraglim were trying to achieve and what their argument was and what they convinced the Jewish people was, was right and important? Yeah? Mm -hmm. I know there was some Kabbalah going on here, but I think because we, we um, also spoke about Malchus a little bit in the previous time and we stuck through with it, maybe it's a little bit clearer this time. I'm hoping um, exactly what this process is. The previous time we were discussing how to raise up all the way from down here, the lights all the way back up to the highest levels, right? And then draw them back down. Here we're speaking about the process of drawing the lights down through spiritual mitzvahs, through learning Torah, which affects change in the Atzilut, and then through physical mitzvahs, which draw that, draws that down all the way down here. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, any questions or comments on this idea? Clear? Yeah. Amazing. <coughs>